excited about our Christmas Eve service tomorrow, and I want you to do everything you can to make plans to be here. Uh, there's an invite card in your, in your bulletin, and you know what you can do with this? You can take a picture of it and post it on Facebook, or you can send it through text to a friend or coworker, relative, and invite them along on the journey. It's going to be a great service together, one hour, short, sweet, with all of our families and kids. It's just going to be a wonderful service. So a lot of Christmas carols. It's just going to be a lot of fun. I'm going to have a short little sermon, and we're going we're gonna to talk about Jesus being the center of it all. And so we'll be uh, jumping in. That'll be tomorrow, 5 o'clock. So invite a friend on that journey. And then during that service, I wanted to give you guys the heads up because we're going to do one extra special offering. And that offering is going to go towards our Making Ends Meet Benevolent Fund. This fund has helped people from with car repairs, um, with mortgage payments, with electric bills, and all kinds of stuff like that. And our goal as a community is every once in a while somebody gets in, a tr in trouble. And they're like, have you ever, it's like a domino. Like the water bill causes this, that causes that, and it's like this domino effect in their life. And what we want to do as a community is be there to stop that downward spiral. And so, and this has been an amazing, uh, an amazing fund, and you guys have been giving to it, uh, but we want to do one special offering tomorrow. So 100% of that money that comes in will be going towards our Making Ends Meet fund over this next year. Okay, well, we are um, finishing a series today called Running on Empty. We've been talking about this idea of we run like we run ragged, and if you just follow the pattern of our society, Christmas morning, you don't, you don't want to do anything, right? You just want to sleep. And so we've been saying, how do we move from empty to full this Christmas season? And, um, and, and I, I really believe that, that God has something up his sleeve for you and I as we partner with his spirit, and as we experience hope, peace, joy, and love over this holiday season. So Michael Hardy was having dinner um, with his family, and this is the first year they heard about this Advent wreath, and he never celebrated this in his family, so he bought this Advent wreath with five candles, and he was talking to his kids, and apparently his kids in church, they had been talking about this Advent wreath and Advent candles. So during Christmas, Michael mentions to his kids, he says, does anybody know what these four outside candles represent? Because the inside one represents Jesus. And Luke, seven years old, says, I know, I know, I know. There's love, joy, peace, and, and, peace, and. And then six-year-old Elsa interrupts brother Luke and says, peace and quiet. <laughs> if you, quiet is not one of the, the four candles on the outside. Um, the one that they missed was, was hope. Um, with Christmas just two days away, you're probably feeling the stress level rise uh, in your life, trying to keep hundreds of things all together to get things done between now and then, everything from shopping and you know, like cleaning the house and, and decorations and presents and cooking. and I mean, it just expands and expands and expands. Somehow this season of peace on earth and quiet, silent night feels like anything but peaceful, right? Anything but quiet. 
And so the truth is what led up to that very first Christmas 2,000 years ago was as far as peaceful as you could imagine for Mary and Joseph. It was probably some of the most stress-filled days of their, of their lives. Even before the angel told Mary that she would be pregnant, uh, Mary no doubt was stressing over her soon-to-be wedding. Now, if you've ever put together a wedding before, man, it can be stressful, can't it? Uh, do you know that there's an intense amount of energy that all goes into it? Uh, when Kate and I got married, we, everything like leads up to this thing, and then you get like I got sick on my honeymoon. It was horrible. Like you just did you know that some engagements don't even survive all the preparations for the for the wedding? It's so stressful. And today we have so much pressure to have that, what, perfect wedding. I think one of the reasons why is because there's all those bridal magazines at Barnes & Noble. Have you ever, there's crazy amounts of bridal magazines. You have bride and modern bride and today's bride and premier bride and elegant bride and cosmopolitan bride. The funny thing is, there's one magazine that you'll never see. Modern groom. <laughs> right? Why? You have to think about why. Well, I think it's because the groom is completely inconsequential to the <laughs> wedding. Now, even if that's not true, at very least, nobody cares what the groom looks like at all, right? Now, how many of you ever walked away from a wedding and said, didn't the groom look so amazing? <laughs> nobody says that. I just officiated a wedding last month, and man, I walked away saying, man, she looked she was gorgeous. It was one of my, two of my good friends from Baton Rouge. I was officiating the wedding back there. And she looked amazing. She looked so elegant. But I never thought, Derek, you look radiant. <laughs> I, I just didn't think it. A groom at a wedding is basically a prop. <laughs> he's like, a, he's like, a, like a restroom at Dodger Stadium. You're glad that they have one, but nobody goes there to see one, right? <laughs> so this... <laughs> well, I'm just, I'm just being honest, right? Come on. So this morning, I want to look at a groom who doesn't speak a single word in the New Testament. He's only mentioned a handful of times. And he's basically, for most of us, we've always viewed him as a prop in the nativity. But he proved himself to be a man of boundless love and grace and courage like no other. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 1.18. And as you're turning there, I want you to see um, what maybe Joseph's Facebook page may have looked like. May have looked like. Let's watch this. Turn up the volume nice and loud for us.
Okay. <laughs> that was a little modern twist on it all. But um, let me, sh- let me uh, read the scripture here. So this is Matthew 1.18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Let me pray for us today. So Holy Spirit, come. Lord, we need you now. And today as we're looking at families and how sometimes they're the source of pain, help us resolve problems and extend love and grace to them. We love you, Jesus. Be with us now. Amen. You know that one of the best things about the holidays is family? Did you know that one of the worst things about the holidays <laughs> is family? Um, we, the staff went over to uh, Jen and Jody's house just last week, and this is one of her napkins that she had out. It says, I'll be home for Christmas and in therapy the day after. <laughs> one of the best parts about Christmas is family, and one of the worst parts about Christmas is family. How many at Thanksgiving you looked around and said, oh my word, was I adopted? <laughs> was there a mix-up at the hospital? And now the thought of spending a whole bunch more concentrated time at Christmas is throwing you for a loop. Unfortunately, the holiday times can be tough. They can be really difficult on us. Uh, we know too much. We forgive too little. And do you know that we're harder on family than almost anybody else? It's like... So now, I want to read you guys a story. It's actually a really sad story. It's a true story of somebody who hated the holidays. They hated Christmas. They hated their family. And uh, Robert, uh, Robert Morgan, he's an author, he tells a story of a boy named Lindsay. So here's Lindsay's story. Because of a dysfunctional family, Christmas was never an easy time. His father was distant and severe. On the holidays, Lindsay was forced to work even harder on the family farm than normal. His dad gave him extra chores and beat him if he didn't perform to his father's expectations. Even worse than the floggings were the insults and belittling put-downs. For some reason, at Christmas, the name-calling intensified. Even though Lindsay grew up and left home, the memories of his traumatic childhood hung with him. Decembers were especially difficult. It took its toll on his life. One friend described Lindsay's sad story this way. He was never able to find happiness. He became a hard-drinking hellraiser who went from women to woman and couldn't find peace nor success. Finally, at the age of 51, he angrily watched Bing Crosby's White Christmas one last time, put a gun to his head and a bullet through his brain. Now, here's a quote from Lindsay. He said, I hate Christmas because of Pops, and I always will. It brings back the pain and fear I suffered as a child. And if I ever do myself in, it'll be at Christmas time. That will show the world what I think of Bing Crosby's White Christmas. Ironically, Lindsay was Bing Crosby's son. You guys, it shouldn't be like that. But all too often, it is. My hope for you through Christmas, through the rest of this year, through next year, is grace and kindness and love. And today as we look at the life of Joseph, Joseph's life exemplifies 
this type of life, grace and love. And he shows us at the very first Christmas. So Joseph, he's a, he's a royal bloodline. He's a humble carpenter. He's a hardworking, blue-collar guy. Just a blue-collar, average, everyday guy that found his wife to be pregnant. Now, life was different then, wasn't it? If you didn't choose to fall in love, your family would say, hey, this is a good match. This will work for us, and it will work for that family, and we'll set you guys up. And so you didn't choose to fall in love. Jewish weddings kind of had three components to them. And just so you know, I'm completely oversimplifying this just for the sake of brevity this morning. But uh, Jewish weddings, you had the arrangement, which was a family agreement uh, between two families. And sometimes you were engaged when you were like five years old. We set you up with the neighbors over there. And so um, so that's the first part. The second part is the betrothal period. This is a one-year period. It's legally binding. There's a public declaration to the community that you're betrothed to one another. So it's a year-long waiting period. To get out of this thing called betrothal, you would have to be publicly di divorced. And there was no sex. There was, you lived apart during this year. You'd wait one year. No babies. You're good. You proved your faithfulness to one another. And at the end of that year, there was this big parade, and you would go get your bride, and then you're officially married. Now you have to imagine Joseph, three months passed since they were betrothed to one another. And Mary says, I've jo Joseph, I've got to meet with you. And Joseph's probably thinking, she can't, she can't stand being without me. She's totally into me. She loves me. She can't stand being away from me. Yes. She's got to meet with me. She's crazy about me. And Mary says, Joseph, I need you to sit down. A messenger came to me, and I'm going to have the Messiah. And I bet you Joseph's response was, amazing, <laughs> awesome. Did you know, Mary, that I have the lineage of King David? The blood of David runs through my veins. This is perfect. I can't believe it. How did the angel say it was going to happen? And then Mary drops the bomb. It's already started. God placed the baby inside of me. It is a miracle, Joseph. Isn't this wonderful? And I bet Joseph thought, what? Do I look stupid? It's painful enough that you're sleeping around. Now you have to make up some big <laughs> lie. Let's look at what Joseph did here. Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now there's a lot that's not said in this verse. Joseph didn't believe Mary's story that she told him. Or he wouldn't have been looking for a way to break off the engagement. In Joseph's mind, up till this point, the only logical explanation is that Mary had been unfaithful to him. Uh, you guys know that many young people have claimed virginal conceptions. Many young have. I want you to know that. I know a couple from Pomona that got pregnant before their marriage, and they said that they used the same bathwater. The wise know 
Joseph here. Joseph's whole world was shaken. Joseph's dreams melted away. Everything that he'd envisioned for his future all got flushed down the toilet. Shock, betrayal, disappointment. If this is true, Mary, according to the law, she should be stoned, according to Deuteronomy 22.21. Then Joseph's name would be cleared. He would be sought right in his community. His reputation would be restored. Mary's life was in his hands. And Joseph was hurt, but he didn't want to harm her. So he began to develop a plan to break off the engagement formally and legally without explaining it to the larger community. Why? Because Joseph, do you know that Joseph would have, he would have profited from a public divorce? Um, He would have been able to keep the dowry. He would have been uh, refunded the bride price. And guess what? Joseph here, instead of going public, he just, in his brain, he says, yep, she's been unfaithful, but I'm going to break it off quiet. As best as he can, he's trying to preserve Mary's dignity. He acts out of compassion, not vengeance or economic gain or even the pain in his own heart. I love it here. Here's what Mary, here's what Joseph does. He gives up his rights and he gives out grace. He gives up his rights, he gives out grace. Um, The day that Joseph discovered Mary was pregnant was probably the worst day in his life. A journey that Joseph never anticipated taking. A journey that he never wanted. Have you ever had a journey like that? Have you ever experienced a journey like that? Have you ever felt that all your hopes and dreams were literally crushed in front of you and you don't know what to do and you're confused? But at that very moment, when Joseph felt his very lowest, God was at work in Mary's womb. Doing the greatest thing done since creation of this world. God was orchestrating the Savior of the world. The birth of the Savior. And God was inviting Joseph to play a critical role, critical part in that plan. Something amazing was about to happen, but Joseph could not see it yet. In my life, God has taken pain and disappointment and heartache and used it in profound ways that I could only understand in hindsight. Here is uh, Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Purpose. Um, this is an invitation for every single person that believes in Jesus. To, it's an invitation to look at life differently. It's a different way of looking at life. Just as it all seems to be going wrong, it could be in that moment that God is doing something absolutely remarkable, and we just can't see it yet. Guys, the ending of Joseph's story is about obedience and sacrifice for God. So here's verse 20. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. After he considered breaking up the engagement as quietly as he could, 
An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is, a, is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to his son, and he gave him the name Jesus. What does Joseph do here? Again, he gives up his rights and he gives out grace. He gives up his rights and he gives out grace. Guys, this is so powerful. We don't even understand the impact today because Joseph's willing to break with tradition and he took Mary home as his wife even though the customary one-year waiting period had not ended. It had not yet passed. Why? He takes Mary home in the middle of the betrothal. Why? So that people would assume that he's the guilty one for her pregnancy. All the fingers point right back at Joseph in the situation. Everybody in the community says, did you hear what Joseph did? Did you hear what Joseph did? Oh my gosh. That was like probably the big news in their town. By taking Mary home, it looks like he's guilty. Joseph's giving up his rights and giving out grace at a great price. Because Joseph remained an object of shame in a society that was dominated by honor. By the value of honor. Everyone thought that they had been unfaithful to the Jewish marriage laws. That they had been unfaithful to God. Up till now, Joseph's life was completely integrated into the community and the religious life of the community. And yet as soon as he takes Mary home it's most likely that he was no longer allowed to participate in the life of the synagogue. There's a price that Joseph paid here, a great price. In Mark 6, 3, we're told that years later, years later, Jesus came to his hometown to preach the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God, right? And, you know, when he goes to his hometown, you know that that people don't think very much of Jesus in his hometown. And they commented this. They said, isn't this Jesus the son of Mary? Isn't it Jesus the son of Mary? And in that culture, no one would refer to a man that way. A man would be referred to as the son of his father, even if the father had passed away. And so Jesus should have been referred to Jesus son of Joseph. To refer to a son at only from a, the mother's uh, vantage point would be the equivalent of calling him a name that I'm not going to use right now. Okay? And so Jesus should have been called, is Jesus the son of Joseph? And what we learn from Mark 6 is that decades later, 30-some years later, in this small little village where Jesus grew up, Joseph's reputation has not recovered from his act of sacrifice and love towards Mary. 30 plus years later. You guys, my prayer for you is that you give up your rights and you give up grace. 
Give up your rights and give out grace this Christmas. Give it out to your dad who's hurt you. Give it out to your mom. She's let you down. Give it out to your brother who's offended you. Give it out to your sister. She chose somebody else over you. Give it out to your son who's ignored you. Give it out to your daughter who has not called you or asked for your advice. Give it out to your spouse. All the above, right? If you're married, all the above. Give it out to grandpa and grandma and your great-grandson and weird Uncle Frank and everybody else, right? Like, love your family. And that includes your church this holiday season, this Christmas season. Talk, share, pray for, bring to church, give up your rights, give out grace, be used by God this Christmas. Many of you guys made big mistakes during Thanksgiving, and many of your relatives made big mistakes towards you. This season, what if we would love our families and extend grace? What if we talked? felt forgiveness, hugged a little, loved a lot. What if? Who knows what God will do? Who knows what God will do this Christmas? Let me give you a couple practical tips today. Number one, God spoke to Joseph in dreams. Joseph's dreams called him to devote the rest of his life to nurturing, mentoring, and protecting Jesus. My dreams from God are seldom, seldom come at night. Uh, they're a sense of calling that wells up inside of me. Um, and the question that I have for you is, are you listening for God to speak to you? Uh, if, and if God's speaking, are you willing to obey? Joseph, it took a lot to obey what God was asking him to do. It was flushing his reputation for the rest of his life. But are we willing are we, do we want to be obedient to God? Listen for God's dreams and follow them. It'll make all, it made all the difference in Joseph's life, and it'll make all the difference in your life as well. Number two, give up your rights and give up grace, even when somebody doesn't deserve it. On our part, it takes strength of character and surrender of our will. And here's what we have to give up, guys. We have to give up the he said, she said. We have to give up, like, us holding on. Well, they did this. They need to make the first. We have to give up all that stuff and be agents of reconciliation. We have to offer grace to people around us. Own your part and move on. And you have to remember this. Like, God, and God shields us from what we deserve, and he gives gifts that we don't deserve. And so, so much of this... So much of her always like, well, he said this and that happened here and just and actually sometimes all that we could go down that rabbit trail forever, right? And we'll never have reconciliation. But what if? What if we say, God, I just lay all that I lay my rights down here. And I pick up grace. That same grace that accepted you, what if you started offering that to people around you? Especially to your family this Christmas. And I, I know it's, it's hard. It's not easy stuff. But let me tell you, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it influences our lives as people following Jesus. It changes us. It gives us the ability to walk in grace. 
love for every single one of us in here. And I know this is a big order, but um, what if every one of us today we called somebody that we were estranged from because of a past problem and we gave up our rights and we gave up grace and no strings attached? What if we were got this from another pastor when I first entered ministry like when I was 20, 20 years old. 20 years old. A pastor said, you know what? I, I told my people this more than almost anything else. He said, how do you, how do you bridge the gap when there's, he said, she said, like how do you even go to somebody and say, I feel like you've really hurt me and you've wronged me. And he said, John, just use this little one liner. I'm sorry that I've held bitterness in my heart towards you. Would you forgive me for holding that bitterness in my heart towards you? And you know what you're doing? You're taking ownership for your stuff, but you're opening up a conversation because anybody with an ounce of intellectual, like, reality, they're going to say, uh, I forgive you. What did I do? They're going to ask that question. If the, that statement pushes people to actually begin a conversation. And so um, I pass that on to you today. Like, I really believe that the cross not only changes our relationship with God, but with each other. It's the power of the cross in our lives. It's the power of
I need to ask God to tear down that wall. So, but the wall was put there to protect yourself. And the Holy Spirit, God's grace, wants to come in and wipe down the wall so we can actually see each other again. Okay? So if that's you, you've been offended and you put up this wall between somebody that you should love, then God wants to break that down today. Another thing that came up is